Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus told his disciples this parable. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones, when taking their lamps, brought no oil with them. But the wise brought flasks of oil with their lamps. Since the bridegroom was long delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, there was a cry. Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise ones replied, no, for there may not be enough for us and you. Go instead to the merchants and buy some for yourselves. While they went off to buy it, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went into the wedding feast with him. Then the door was locked. Afterwards, the other virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he said in reply, amen, I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, stay awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I believe is one of the most dangerous songs ever written? The song that I'm talking about has been listed as the third most influential rock and roll song by the Rolling Stone magazine. Okay, out of the 500, it's number three. It's earned a Grammy Hall of Fame award. Guinness named it as the second best single of all time. It's preserved in the National Recording Registry in the Library of Congress. It's been covered by everybody, over 200 artists. Madonna, Stevie Wonder, Diana Ross covered this song. One of the most dangerous songs ever written is Imagine by John Lennon. I say dangerous. I didn't say bad. Because that's why it's dangerous. It's actually very beautifully written. The melody is great. The accompaniment is great. John did a great job singing it. I say dangerous because of what it says. We often accuse our younger prisoners, our kids, our grandkids of caring about the beat, but not thinking about the lyrics, right? We're like, oh, you're listening to that song. You're not thinking about the lyrics. You just like the beat. Well, we do the same thing right here. This is a dangerous song because the problem with Imagine, I'm using it as a, as a foil for where we're going in the next three weeks. The problem with Imagine is that the lyrics are really just atheistic communism or secular messianism is what the catechism would call it. Here's the lyrics. I noticed the lyrics. I didn't notice it until about the middle of COVID because in COVID, all these celebrities, everyone's at home, everything's locked down. And all the celebrities put together a mashed up, really bad version of the song. Like it was all out of key and stuff. But I remember it was a weird choice to like think about your mortality. You're like sitting at home, like thinking about the world ending. And it's like, imagine there's no heaven. And you're like, oh my goodness, how depressing. And so these people sing to us. This is the lyrics to imagine. And they're problematic. Imagine 
There's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. That's what makes it dangerous because it's like so good. You know, you want to sing the woo-woos, right? The lyrics are actually secular messianism. It's saying we don't need God. We can save ourselves. Do you want peace? And actually reject the idea of the divine. And you know, this next three weeks leading up to Advent, so we lead into Advent, the church always gives us apocalyptic literature. It gives us a view, asks us to think about, ask us, the church asks us to imagine the opposite. Imagine, actually believe that there is a heaven. Believe that there is a hell. There's a reality of eternal separation from God. It's, it's real. That there is a second coming, a parousia in Greek. It means the coming of Christ, the second coming, the presence of God. And there is a judgment. You say it, I say it, we say it. I believe in the creed. I say, I believe he will come again in glory. So that's the second coming. To judge the living and the dead, the judgment of God, and his kingdom will have no end. Eternity, heaven. So this leads us into, I'm asking you to imagine something different than John Lennon asked you to imagine. I'm asking you to believe and understand, and we're going to go into this, what we believe as Catholics, as Christians, about the second coming, about the end of the world, about the judgment of God. So this, the homily series over the next three weeks, they'll be on podcasts if you're visiting and you want to check in with how the rest of the weeks go. It's called Parousia. The end of the world and the judgment of God. There's a lot of misconception and confusion about Jesus's second coming, about what we believe about the end of the world and how we will be judged. So week one is how will Christ come again? What will it look like as much as we can know from what scripture tells us and the early church tells us? Second week is when will this happen? When will the end of the world happen? Spoiler alert. We don't really know. Okay, we know neither the date nor the hour, but we'll get into that next week. And the final, how will we be judged? What does our judgment look like? What is it based on? So the first thing I'm going to do is debunk a false eschatology. Eschatology is a study of, it's a theology of the end of the world. A false eschatology called the rapture. Raise your hand if you ever heard about the rapture or heard that word. Okay, most people, right? We live in South, we live South. The rapture is... Uh, I believe, and the early church would believe this too, a false eschatology. It's the idea that before the second coming, that true believers will be taken away, raptured, if you will, and then those who are not righteous will be left behind. There was a movie called Left Behind, which showed this. Someone's driving down the road, and they're a believer, they're, they're a Christian, and they're taken away, and then the car just keeps going. Right? That was left behind. That's the rapture. There are problems, though, with this. And the first of which is that the rapture, this idea that before the second coming, God's going to rapture or take away those who are believers and leave uh, the unrighteous behind. It's not it's not rooted in the ancient church. No one believed this. No one professed this. This wasn't an idea until the 1930s in America, American evangelicalism. So there's always a problem when a new doctrine surfaces 
thousands of years after the early church. No church fathers proclaiming the rapture. The second problem is that the scriptures that are cited as support for the rapture actually say the opposite. First Thessalonians is, a, is an example of this. In fact, this is where some people get the rapture because caught up into the clouds, that caught up in, in Latin is rapiator. And so they get that rapture. And yet First Thessalonians, so this is Paul, says that Christ will come and then there'll be a judgment. And then we'll be judged. So the, the second coming of Christ happens first. Right? There's no rapture before the second coming. And that's right there in First, uh, first Thessalonians. Luke 17 is cited as defense of the rapture or support for the rapture. It's where Jesus says, I will tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Sounds like the rapture, right? Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And so it's understandable. Someone without a connection to historic Christianity, who's just interpreted from the cells, would be like, yeah, that sounds like the rapture. It sounds like the good person will be taken and raptured and the bad will be left behind. The only problem is, so what Jesus is referencing goes back to Noah and the ark. He says, like in the days of Noah, when those were taken and some weren't. The ones who were taken were actually the evil ones. The ones who were left behind were the good ones, right? It was Noah and his family. And he also references Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot's wife, who turns behind. She doesn't trust God, and then she is taken. So it's actually the opposite. Jesus is saying, look, if you don't follow the Lord, if you don't follow the gospel, you will be taken. The wages of sin is death. So the unrighteous will be taken. So it's actually the opposite. So we don't believe as Catholics in the rapture because it's not scriptural and it's not historical. So what then do we believe? There's a lot of misunderstanding. So I'm just going to go to the catechism. I say it all the time. It's easy to be a Catholic priest because I don't make it up. It's a catechism of the Catholic Church. I just stick with the scriptures and what the catechism says. So look on your sheet. I'll put it there for you. This is uh, the catechism, paragraph 675, based on the book of Revelation, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Romans, and some uh, parts of the gospel where Jesus preaches about the end times. So this is just what we believe based on the scriptures and church teaching will happen at the end times. Before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the faith of many believers. Okay, so firstly, we believe there'll be, it's called the final tribulation, some people call it, a final trial. The persecution that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form, listen to this, this is in the catechism, in the form of a religious deception, offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of apostasy from the truth. So in the end, you will be offered, you. We all are kind of offered this. We're all, we're in the end times since the ascension. So when is it going to come finally? We don't know. We'll talk about that next week. But we're always offered the opportunity to apostatize. Here, take the easy way out. I have the answer That's what the catechism means. Religious deception offering men an apparent solution for their problems. The supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist. What is the Antichrist? 
Catechism says, a pseudo-messianism by which man glorifies himself in the place of God and of his Messiah come in the flesh. Pseudo-messianism or secular messianism. It means that like we can save ourselves. See, the Messiah saves us. The Messiah is the anointed one. It's Jesus, we believe. But a secular messianism says, you don't need Jesus. You don't need God. You don't need heaven. You don't need the church. Imagine all the people living for today. You know what today is? Secular. That's what today, that's what secular means of this age. Don't think about heaven. Don't look back at the past at what the church teaches. Live for right now. That's the pseudo-messianism, the secular messianism. Imagine almost is like our modern secular hymn. It almost replaces Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace is a beautiful hymn that every Christian knows, no matter what denomination. I could walk into any nursing home, any prison. I could walk into any church. I can walk into any family. If I start singing Amazing Grace, you're going to know it. Imagine is almost replacing that. Do you know that imagine this, this secular messianism is played since 2003. It's been played right before the ball drops in New York City at Times Square. It's like this is how we usher in. This is how we as a country have decided to usher in the new year. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there will be no judgment. Imagine you can save yourself. See, this is the pseudo-messianism the catechism's talking about. The Antichrist could be a future individual person. It may very well be. Or it could be, and is, along the way, just a bad theology, a bad philosophy peddled by many that claim we can save ourselves. We can't save ourselves. That's what the church asks us to believe because it's what Christ proclaimed to us. Matthew 24. This is what Jesus says the end times will look like. It's what we believe as Catholics. This is scripture. This is just Jesus. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. See, that's a promise. Jesus promised you. He doesn't promise you material success and wealth. In fact, he promises you persecution. So I can't give you anything else. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. So Jesus is like, look, in the end, and we don't know if we're going to experience this personally. Odds are we're not. We're looking at 2,000 years, right? But in the end, many will turn away from the faith and, be- and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness. Jesus says there'll be an increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold. So in the end, the church will shrink. In fact, I think the church is going to look like Christ. Going up to Calvary, Calvary in the end. And we want it to be different. We want it to be glorious. We want the church to be triumphant. But in fact, I promise you, the church will look like Jesus. And how does Jesus look? When he kills evil, when he destroys death, he does it on the cross. And that's what the church will look like in the end. And he says, immediately after the distress so this final tribulation, The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. 
The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. This is actually a good thing. Because Jesus is telling us that in the end, he will give us a sign and it will be very clear. The sign of the Son of Man in heaven sounds like the sign of the cross. And then all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. That's what we believe, what the catechism says, what Jesus told us in Matthew 24. And you might, and I'll end with this, it might seem scary. We're tempted to say like, this is, this is kind of scary. Like I'm nervous. I remember, I remember being a little kid and being like, like we're supposed to as Christians say, come Lord Jesus, like come back, like second come and come on. I was like, no, nah, please don't. You know, it's like, no, no, I'm good. It's because I truly at that moment and, and, and still am in a, in a way we all are. We're not ready. See, if we were ready, then we'd say, come Lord Jesus. If we were ready, we wouldn't be scared. If we were ready, we would be like the five virgins with the oil and the lamps, who when they said the bridegroom is here, they were like, let's go to the wedding party. That's my jam. Get me on the dance floor. Make some wine out of water. That's what a party is, right? That's the second coming. But if you're not ready, if you're like the, the, the bride, or if you're like the virgins with no oil, the bridegroom is here. You shudder. You're scared. Because you don't want them to say, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. This is perfectly summed up in Malachi's prophecy. We'll end with Malachi's prophecy. Look on your sheet. It's on the back. Malachi chapter 4. This minor prophet prophesying the coming of Christ first, the first coming, and then the parousia, the second coming. Malachi says, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire. Oh, gosh. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. So that's, that's the second coming when you're not ready. You're going to be burned up. But, and here's the deal, but, let's read on. For you who revere my name, that same sun, that same fire, that same furnace, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. You see what the prophet is saying? He's saying, look, God comes and he is a fire. The fi- Have you ever seen the sacred heart image? It's on fire. And fire purifies or destroys based on the object in front of it. So what are we? Are we ready? Because if we're ready, if our hearts are ready, if we're in the state of grace, then when the coming happens, whether it's our particular judgment and we die, or it's the final, it's the end, and the final judgment, are we going to be rejoicing or we're going to be like the stubble that is burned up? We decide that. We have a penance service December 6th where you can go to confession. You can prepare your heart. Our first communicants for this year, first reconciliation kids, they'll be going. 
I want all of us to participate because we need to be like the five virgins with their oil and their lamps, ready for the coming. Next week, we'll talk about when it's going to happen. Please stand for our profession of faith.